Hello, bonjour, guten tag, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this. And welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, episode 266. Okay, you'll have to forgive me for that, since uh, Trex and Sci-Fi has moved to Rockford, Illinois, with Rico's recent job position opening up. I've been threatening to uh, play that in my audio comments and never taken it, never taken it on before now. But given that I've got the podcast to myself this week, I thought, why not? So, hello, I'm Mike. I'm definitely not Rico. You'll have noticed he's not here. You'll have noticed. This isn't his voice. As I say, this is Trex and Sci-Fi episode 266. At least I hope it is. It was due at one point to be episode 265, so I've been bumped at least a week. I'm still a couple of weeks in advance when I'm recording this, so hopefully things will remain static. If not, insert correct number here. But go forward on that basis. I... from uh, England, south-west London, so the accent is real. Yes, I really do sound like this been listening to the podcast since, well, since I'm not sure. I registered on the forums about a year and a half ago, so I guess I've been listening to them that long. And as I say, I uh, presented what I think was episode 242 back in August or September time, look at the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And obviously, anyone who's been around long enough will know that I've thrown a few audio comments about before and since that. I seem to pop up periodically on these things. Don't ask me why, don't ask me how I got into this, because I really don't know. Anyway, despite having done one before, I've managed to get the reins for a second one, which I think is a rarity at the moment, but with the, the guest hosting going strong, I'm sure we'll see some more of the other guys who, who've taken a stint at this coming back for a second bite of the cherry. It is slightly easier the second time round. I've got more idea of um, what I let myself in for, but it still takes a heck of a time to prepare these things a lot longer than one might expect from the time it takes to listen to them. Anyway, this week, so last, last, go back a bit, last time I did Hitchhiker's Go to the Galaxy, this week I'm going to do something a little more normal in that sense, in that I'm taking a look at a Trek episode. I say normal, it, it's normal for Treks and sci-fi, but it's not normal for me to do it, obviously, it's not normal for my voice. Uh, Rico's obviously done a lot, I think the only other people who've ever done Trek on this podcast, and I could get shot for this, I know, Jen and Angela had a go in the early days when the Anomaly Girls took uh, Treks and sci-fi out for a spin. So, as I say, I'm going to have a go this time around, so it probably won't be completely plain sailing. I've, I've done my topic of topic of excellence, the thing I know about, and now I'm trying my hand at something else. So I have to say, it's probably going to be a, a shorter episode than some that we've had before. I've not got extra details about my job. Oh, don't get me started on the job. I haven't particularly got any news or, or collectible information, so I hope the collective consciousness of the Trex and Sci-Fi community will forgive me for that. So what are we going to do? Well... Coming off the end of the Hitchhiker's cast, Virgin One TV channel in the UK cyclically seems to be running through the entirety of Trek. You get an episode every night, and I've been watching that since I think about season two of DS9. They did, did a, a few seasons of DS9, a few seasons of TNG, a few seasons of Voyager, and cycle around the whole lot. And as I was finishing the, the previous podcast, they were running through the last couple of seasons of Voyager. And the episode Lifeline 
Doctor Heavy episode was one that, that came up pretty soon after I'd finished the last podcast. Everybody was being very nice about it. So I foolishly volunteered to have another go and this time try a trek. So I'm going to look at, at Lifeline. As I say, it's a, a Voyager episode. It's episode 24 of season 6. Now that was a, a 26 episode season, so we're only only third from the end. And certainly by that time, cast and crew were fairly much flying. I know some people think very little of Voyager. I really don't have a problem with it. I enjoy it as, as much as any other. I like Janeway as a captain. and I, I like the, the sort of different story of being stuck out in the Delta Quadrant. But as I say, by the end of season 6 of this, this seven season series everybody was pretty much flying well into the groove of who they were and what they were doing now rather surprisingly this was first aired on the 10th of may 2000 that's almost 10 years ago doesn't time fly and it had the distinction of being written in concept at least original story idea written by robert picardo who of course played the doctor and has, has the distinction of being the only Star Trek episode that's that's been written in part or in whole by a cast member. Now, as I say, he, he spun the story and um, pitched it at the uh, showrunners. And in fact, I, I believe he'd, he'd pitched a number of, of Doctor, Doctor stories over the years. But this was the one they decided to pick up. And he went forward to work on with a chap called John Bruno, who I know nothing about, except he was the director of an early season six episode, Tinker, Tenor, Doctor, Spy. So another Doctor episode story was taken on and the two of them uh, worked on it. Originally set up as a, a I guess, a traditional father-son drama between the Doctor and, and Lewis Zimmerman. And they say Lewis was originally written as, as a darker character, uh, but, but reworked quite heavily. And of course, he previously cropped up in Deep Space Nine, so we'd seen the man of Lewis Zimmerman before. So, well, we'll get into how well they, they, the continuity worked there later on but they obviously had some background to work on, and it wasn't a complete free-for-all. Uh, one of the things I picked up is this episode was actually nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects, and I can only assume, because of the nature of the story, that it was a lot of the... Oh, I can't think of the term, but um, two Picardos on screen at once interacting with each other and the way that was, was put together. But that's my assumption. That's not anything I've uh, picked up specifically. I know about the Emmy, but I don't know the, the details of the nomination. So that's the, the background of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I should say I'm doing this in the form of, of what I'd call a, a traditional Treks and Sci-Fi clip show. I did toy with the idea of running through the episode and talking over it, but I'm not sure. Well, I'll, I'll either go down to just listening to it because I enjoy it and saying nothing at all, or I'll end up talking over the interesting bits and you then get into, well, am I supposed to rewind it and all of that sort of stuff? What am I supposed to do? So do it as a, a clip show. I've got a, a fair few things to say, but hopefully lightened up with uh, a few clips in the middle. I think some of them run to two or three minutes, but there's a lot of material in here. Hopefully you'll you'll know which Picardo is, is which, uh, cast-wise. But all, all of this will become clear when we get into it. The other thing I, I might apologise for up front is I took the audio from this from my DVR into the laptop a, a while back. Not a lot of control on that. Not Laptops, not the, the brilliant, not the top-of-the-line sound card you might find in a desktop machine. So certain limitations. I think it comes out all right. I'm going to try and balance it up with my voice as, as best as possible. But if there's any distortion on the uh, episode audio, then I'll apologise for that up front. Anyway, that's all, all the waffle out of the way. So let's go on, get into the episode after this. 
Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. Alright, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the present. Mark. Alright, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle on Podcast. And we like to talk about. Crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we're having a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. I'm not. Okay, so let's get into it. Starts out with a teaser trailer, as do most Star Trek episodes. And in this case, we're in orbit of Jupiter. We're around the Jupiter station, small shuttle approaching. Piloted by one lieutenant, lieutenant, sounds alien on me, lieutenant, Reginald Barclay. He's obviously coming to visit the station to get a bit of comm traffic as he's trying to dock. Again, this is obviously Reg Barclay, as, as we saw, first of all, in TNG. And then I think First Contact was the only film he was in, certainly by this stage. Dwight Schultz is back. He had six trips out in Voyager in the end, and in fact only only five in TNG. So Voyager turned out to be the series he had, had a greater role in. He was obviously in First Contact as well, so we've seen him there. So I guess we can, we can count that as a, a sixth TNG episode. So 12, out, 12 outings in Star Trek overall. But he's also cropped up in Stargate. I think we saw him in season two. He was a rather batty keeper of some establishment with a lot of people in... Oh, it was the game, I think. They weren't in suspended animation. They are in some, some pseudo-world. It says he was in Babylon 5 as well, which for the life of me, I can't remember what episode that was, but uh, I'll take my research's word for it, and the fact that I noted it down at the time tends to suggest that I believe it when I, I discovered that one. I say this was his third of six appearances in Voyager, um, with reference to the Pathfinder project, which the Voyager series has set up as what he's working on once he'd come off the Enterprise E, which long-range telemetry, communications, looking into distant galaxies, which I guess is ideal when we're dealing with a ship stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Anyway, what Reg is doing on Jupiter Station is visiting Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, the uh, rather grumpy creator of the Doctor, the man whom the Doctor's physical parameters were modelled after. Basically another role for Robert Picardo. We've seen him three times before. I think in Voyager, he turned up in Projections and The Swarm, and I think in both cases in the form of a hologram. This is the first time on Voyager we've seen him in the flesh, as it were. But he also appeared in Deep Space Nine, the episode of Dr Bashir, I presume, which was covered by Rico sometime in December, I believe, just before Christmas the episode where they're looking at the generation of a Mark II EMH based on Deep Space Nine's Doctor, whose name escapes me at the moment. Terribly embarrassing. Anyway, Reg coming to the station, talking about Pathfinder, as well as the health of, of Dr Zimmerman, who it turns out is dying. Cue the titles. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. Moyer777 on the forums. I love Trex and Sci-Fi. Rico, you rock. And you know you inspired me to do my own podcast. And so I have. Every week I've started putting out a podcast called Taking With You. And it's all about my life and the world around me. You might find it interesting. I guarantee you, you'll smile by the end of the podcast. And in a world that is kind of depressing lately, 
I think it's great to be encouraged every week. So would you try it out? Come take a listen. It's at www.takehimwithyou.com. It's called Take Him With You, the weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. Post-title sequence, we've had a, a context skip, context change, and we're aboard Voyager for the first time in the episode. And it appears that uh, Pathfinder and Barclay have been successful in passing on communications from Earth from the Federation to the ship. Not the first time this has happened. Uh, they're obviously using a Herogen network, had some communication come through a few years before, but certainly it's the first time of promising regular communication with Starfleet. This is all the data they could send us. Until next month. Next month? They're using a cyclic pulsar to amplify signals from the Midas array, but the cycle only peaks every 32 days. So once a month, we'll be able to receive a short burst of information, and we'll have about 17 hours to respond. So far, we've gotten tactical updates, letters from home, and news about the Alpha Quadrant. I don't suppose they found us a shortcut home. It doesn't look that way. We don't have much time to prepare a response, and we'll have to keep it short. But I want to give everyone an opportunity to send something, even if it's only a brief note. Inform the crew. Yes, ma'am. Aye, Captain. Lieutenant Barclay, the Pathfinder Project. They didn't give up on us. So when you write those letters, you might want to thank them. Now, my main question on this whole setup is how on earth can this work both ways? Ignoring how the technology works, because clearly we're in the realms of science fiction here and the technology doesn't work. But yeah, okay, I can accept they're using some form of cyclic pulsar to amplify the power of the array and punch a signal across to the Delta Quadrant. Now, assuming that works, then Wahoo, Voyager's in contact, the Federation of, of Starfleet have got a, a means of talking to their lost ship for the first time in, in four or five years, discounting the Herogen array. But how does that work in the other direction? I mean, Voyager has its usual transmission equipment. It's not got anything special. It certainly can't tie in a cyclic pulsar to anything. It hasn't got a Midas array. Um, I, I guess we just have to take it as read that this, this you can tie the pulsar into the receiver as well and just live with it without it. Certainly this and, and a lot of other stuff that's to come really won't make sense anymore. But it, it's just a, a question that comes up out of it. It's one of those... Technobabble even doesn't quite cover it here. Anyway, we've had a lot of messages coming through from Earth. Um, presumably they've put some family stuff in because there's messages for, for all and sundry such that Neelix in his usual role is put in charge of, of distributing these things around the crew so that everybody gets to see what Mummy and Daddy have been doing, I suppose. Or maybe that's only Harry Kim. But the messages include the Doctor, which one would think was unusual until you think back and realise that the Doctor has had, going back to that, uh, that Herogen array, has had some communication with the Federation. And it's a letter from Barclay telling uh, him about uh, Zimmerman's condition, which apparently is acute subcellular degradation with, and... Obviously, it has no cause or cure. That's fine in the Alpha Quadrant. Of course, in the Delta Quadrant, the Doctor's been uh, running around active for a heck of a long time and has encountered all sorts of things that, that no Alpha Quadrant physician would ever have come across. So he feels, oddly enough, and this is where the, the main thrust of the story comes, he feels that based on some of what he's experienced, some of what the crew have seen in the Delta Quadrant, in fact, he has a potential treatment for Zimmerman. I believe I can help him, Captain. How? You remember the Vidians? 
The early stages of the phage are very similar to Dr. Zimmerman's disease. I believe I can adapt a variety of Borg regeneration techniques to arrest the cell damage, maybe even reverse it. Make sure to pass along your findings. Thank you, Doctor. Actually, I was hoping to administer the treatment myself. What are you suggesting? I'd like you to send my program back to the Alpha Quadrant. None of the doctors at Starfleet are familiar with these techniques. It would take them months to fully understand them, much less put them to use. Even if we could send you, you're needed here. Mr. Paris can take over sickbay. He's more than capable. We've done this once before. There weren't any problems. Three years ago, and we used alien technology. I've spoken to Seven of Nine. She believes we can compress my program. There's limited space in the data stream. If we send you, there won't be room for anything else. I realize I'd be asking the crew to make a sacrifice on my behalf. But they can wait another month. Dr. Zimmerman might not have that time. I'm sorry he's not doing well. So the doctor's obviously convinced he should go to the Alpha Quadrant himself, using the uh, whatever mechanism to be received by the, the Midas Array and moved on. And apparently Tom Paris is more than capable of running sickbay. And this is a question that we've never really addressed in Voyager. And, and a crew of 140-something, 160-something, something like that, I think. But only one doctor who died when the, the ship was thrown into the Delta Quadrant. Now, I don't know, I, I've got to wonder about that. I mean, most Federation ships we've come across run a, a three-shift rotation. Are they really saying they only had one doctor aboard? to do that, and if you needed the Doctor outside the Alpha Shift, well, you had to make an appointment for the following day. I, I don't know. It's certainly smaller than the Enterprise and some of the other ships we've seen, so perhaps there was only one Doctor aboard. But from the training and stuff that we've seen, I hardly think Tom Paris was qualified to take over from a fully qualified Chief Medical Officer. I mean, if an emergency surgery was required, you don't get a pilot to go in there and do the job. So again, I can only really assume that, that some other bits of the medical su staff survived the incident with the caretaker. We never see them, but presumably they're there, sort of battling their way through uh, beta and gamma shifts and working their uh, working their little socks off while the, the doctor's coming in and maybe handling the, the main thrust of the work. But uh, probably not everything. Again, I'm sure I'm overanalyzing the entire series, but it's one of the, the questions that's always lurked at the back of my mind. can't say I've ever expressed it before, but... It's really only looking at this episode that it's come out. It's interesting to me, whether it's interesting to anybody else, I don't know, but I'm recording this and you're not, so you get my interests. Uh. So we had the Doctor making his representations to, to Janeway, going to the Alpha Quadrant to uh, give Zimmerman a hand with his health, and uh, there's one bit I don't think I've captured, but uh, Janeway does observe that she actually met him once at a conference, and I think found him rather aggravating or something. But anyway, they managed to conclude their discussions in the end and uh, let's have a listen to that he programmed me every algorithm every subroutine if it weren't for his years of work i wouldn't be standing here i owe him something and frankly so does this crew in a way he's responsible for every life i've saved lewis zimmerman designed the template for starfleet's emh you're one of thousands based on that technology it's not as though he's your father from your perspective from mine He's the closest thing I've got. If I don't try to help him now, I may never get the chance. One of the things I draw from this is that the Doctor seems to get an awful lot of liberties on this ship. I mean, 
following some of the stuff that, that he's done, some of the trips he's gone on, you have to say that any other crew member would probably have ended up with the brig for the duration of the trip. In another one out of, of season six, Virtuoso, episode 13, where I think it's the one where the, the Doctor finds a, a planet where his singing is appreciated and, and really turns into a bit of a... I won't use the word, but um, it goes to his head, let's put it that way. He's sitting around in smoking jackets and things, signing autographs for the natives and really neglecting his duties. And, uh, you know, yes, he apologises at the end of it and, and just gets on with his work. I know this is an episodic show with a reset at the end, but I would have said a little bit of uh, a little bit more discipline comes into that. I mean, another point, he's expecting to divert the entire ship because he wants to go to a, a, a conference. And when you get to... Uh, the mid-season two-parter of uh, season seven, he actually sells out Voyager to the shipload of Herogen holograms based on Federation technology and goes over and joins them. I think he loses a, a little bit of... I uh, loses his mobile emitter for a bit at that point and uh, a couple of holiday privileges, but, you know, there's a there's a recurring theme, and I think the, the Doctor is an interesting character, but is is worthy of that. It, it makes for more interesting episodes. I think if Balana wanted to go off on an engineering conference, well neither here nor there so i i can see why they've done it but if you look at it as a sort of take a step back and look at it then you there is this one character who's who's very heavily getting himself into trouble by doing all sorts of things that really have nothing to do with his his duties and the captain lets him get away with it but again it's, it's another one where you can look at it and say well the doctor's my favorite character probably on on voyager picardo's a good actor both in voyager and stargate and it's just fun to see him getting into this sort of scrape so as I say, I can well understand why they do it, and certainly I enjoy it. So having arranged that the Doctor can go, we get a, an interesting little scene with uh, he and Seven and Nine, Seven at the uh, computer console, basically trying to uh, pull bits out of him to get him small enough to fit in the capsule. If you've ever tried to email a podcast to anybody, then you'll know that there are only certain sizes of attachment that uh, email programs will cope with, and this is much the same thing. We're still back to the glib assumption that the Doctor can't be copied and he's unique and you can't just instantiate another version of him. And it, it's a conceit that they use throughout the series. Um, again, it's another of these things we, we just have to accept with regard to the Doctor. It would obviously make things... Well, you'd be sending him out, you'd be putting him at risk everywhere if you could just turn another one on if he died or got decompiled or whatever happened. So, you can again, you can understand why they do it. Um, it's interesting to note that when the transporter accident in Deep Space Nine, they managed to store entire people in the full computing power of the station and sort of recreate them. So why you can't store another copy of the Doctor, I don't know. It's, you know, the Doctor's a lot less complicated than an entire human personality, but uh, there you go. Well, it's obviously worked because we have a scene with Barclay entering Zimmerman's lab with a friend. I found a friend waiting for me at home. You don't have any friends. Well, I guess uh, you could say he's a friend of yours. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. An EMH Mark I? I'm not in the mood for nostalgia, Reginald. But this is the Mark I from Voyager. I was compressed into a data stream and transmitted from the Delta Quadrant. Congratulations. I recommend a tour of Jupiter's third moon. I hear the lava flows are lovely this time of year. I'm not here for a vacation. I'm here to treat your illness. You brought a Mark I 30,000 light years to treat me? 
I was wrong about you, Reginald. You do have a sense of humor. Care to let me in on the joke? You didn't tell him? Tell me what? Well, uh, I... You're obsolete. Extinct. Yesterday's news. My program was retired? Retired? Not at all. The EMH Mark I was reconfigured to scrub plasma conduits on waste transfer barges. I've been treated by the Mark III, the Mark IV, not to mention the finest real doctors in Starfleet. None of them could help me! He has been running almost continuously for six years. He has seen more things than most doctors could even imagine. I also have an exceptionally high tolerance for difficult patients. I didn't program you for sarcasm. You'll find I'm full of surprises. Show the good doctor to the plasma generator. I understand there's quite a buildup of residue. If we had more time, I'd enjoy trading barbs with you. But right now, there's a more pressing concern. Your life. I'm working on a treatment based on a disease I encountered in the Delta Quadrant, but I'll need to run a complete analysis. However, if it's impossible for you to believe that a lowly Mark I could have anything useful to offer, I'll be happy to pack my bags and go explore those sulfur mines. Go ahead. Scan away. I'll be outside. What were your initial symptoms? Radical hair loss. Fatigue, nausea, joint inflammation. Have you traveled outside the solar system recently? What's that got to do with anything? Just answer the question. I haven't left Jupiter Station in over four years. To your knowledge, have you been exposed to theta radiation? No. Neutron flux? Never. Have you had intimate relations with Ebolian? These are questions first-year medical students would ask. I'm just being thorough. Just being thorough. Did that creature just speak? His name's Leonard. He's a hologram. <sighs> Computer deactivate iguana. How dare you! I'm a doctor, not a zookeeper. Has there ever been an epidemic on this station? No! Enough questions! Finish your scans and get out of here! Doctor, I said get out of here! I traveled halfway across the galaxy to treat you. The least you could do is show a little gratitude. Thank you! Get out of here! I may be the only physician who can save your life! You need me! Like hell! I brought your matrix into this world and I can take it out! I'm no longer a prototype. I have exceeded my original programming. I'm no longer under your control! Oh, really? Computer, transfer EMH to the living quarters. How did it go? A couple of things I want to draw out of that. Um, season 2, Episode 3, Projections. The uh, Doctor met a, a hologram of Barclay aboard Voyager, I think, trying to do some diagnostic work on his program, if I remember. In Pathfinder, Episode, I think that was Season 10, uh, sorry, Season 10, Episode 10, Season 6, Barclay interacted with a hologram of the Doctor which is a hologram of a hologram, which strikes me as an interesting observation. But actually this is the first time that the two characters have actually met, and I think that coloured some of the way they, they played this on screen, because while they'd, they'd worked together before, the characters theoretically never actually come across each other in the flesh. And this is where obviously we've, we've seen Zimmerman's absolutely appalled at the concept of being treated by a Mark I, who've all been reconfigured to... Scrap plasma conduits and ways transfer barges, which they they pick up again in author author an episode later on where we have uh, 
the Doctor trying to sell his hollow novel, and he gets into the rights of, of holographic life forms uh, because the publisher tries to rip him off, basically. It's very similar to, I think it was Measure of a Man in TNG, where uh, they're trying to work out whether data counts as a person or not. But it was nice to sort of reference back to this one, who says there's no continuity in Voyager. Though, uh, at that point, the uh, the Doctors, the EMHs, were actually mining dilithium rather than scrubbing conduits. And we we had the reference to a Mark II, a Mark III, and a Mark IV, I think, in, in that clip of EMH. Doctor's obviously aware of a new EMH, of a newer EMH, because of the episode message in a bottle, which was the one with the Herogen array. I think sent him back to uh, USS Prometheus, where he, he met the rather the rather timid Starfleet holographic Doctor, let's say, who kept trying to turn himself off and keep away from the Romulans. So he knows that there's a replacement around, but I think he sort of comes across as rather surprised to uh, find they've retired all the Mark Ones, And to a degree, you know, we had all the faff that, that these things can't be copied and they're one-offs, and yet they managed to... Um, replace them all in, in no short order. So they can obviously manufacture holograms. There's a copying process involved there. But, ah, well, there you go. Um, the, the other thing to say on that one, um, Message in a Bottle episode again, I think it was about two years before, somewhere in the second half of season four. And given that that had just got the Mark II in place, you have to say the Mark II and the Mark III can't have been very good because they're already on a Mark IV. It's a very short lead time for manufacturing a new Doctor. So I'm a little surprised they've squeezed that in, but hey. And as we've already said, this is the uh, the second time that the Doctor's been back to the Alpha Quadrant. Now, I'm not going to ask where anybody got the concept of an iguana called Leonard. I'm interested vaguely. I haven't found out, been able to find out why it was named such. I mean, we're dealing with Doctors, so was, was it McCoy, or we're dealing with Star Trek? Was, was, was it Nimoy they named it after? But the other one you'll note in there is the I'm a Doctor, not a Zookeeper line, and... Obviously a recurring Star Trek theme. From what I can see, McCoy used something similar about 15 times. Bashir had it in at least four occasions, and uh, the holographic Doctor picked up 12 of them. Uh, apparently he had libbed one at his uh, audition as well, which uh, I think Picardo blames as, as sort of one of the reasons that he actually got the job in the first place. And we've got a, certainly what's been badged as a, as a slight continuity error in that clip there, because if you remember Zimmerman, part of his... Uh, initial medical examination is saying that uh, he hasn't left Jupiter Station in four years which doesn't actually gel with the Deep Space Nine episode I've already mentioned where he was on DS9 interviewing Bashir for the long term medical hologram program and that was apparently approximately three years earlier so either his memory's failing or we have a, a little continuity blip actually referencing that one you notice that the character's a little bit different there I think in DS9, he was chasing Lita around, and anything the skirt, I think, is what it came down to in, in the final couple of scenes. But uh, here he seems to be a, a lot more of a curmudgeonly recluse, recluse even. No women in sight. So whether that's a, a change of character trait, whether that's just a, a feature of the fact that he's ill now, I don't know. But again, it, it's something that people have, have pointed out on this one. I don't know, too big a deal with that, to be honest. It, it seems to work quite well. You know, you're a few years later on, people change over time, so... Not an issue for me. So we've had a good old go at treating the Doctor. They've managed to wind each other up something chronic. And I've got to say, you get two people with the uh, same personality like that in a room, that's probably what you're going to get. If you've uh, ever seen Red Dwarf, you get two Arnold J. Rimmers in the room together. They don't get on. There was an episode of that where I think Rimmer brought in another hologram of himself as 
probably somebody else he could get on with, and uh, boy, did they not get on. So it's a, a very similar scenario. Anyway, Doctor throws a little hissy fit as a result of all this, and basically wants to give up and go home. I mean, obviously he can't, because he's dependent on this, what is it, 17-day? No, 32-day Midas array schedule. There's there's nothing, the Pulsar schedule, there's nothing he can do about it. Talking with uh, Barclay and uh, another character, Haley, who we will later find out is a, another holographic creation of Zimmerman, but who effectively is his personal assistant and uh, looks after him on the station. But, uh, Doctor's obviously been running some scans and... Uh, discovered rather to his amazement that uh, Zimmerman is a Vulcan marsupial. Because Zimmerman being the scientist that he is, and uh, rather annoyed by the Doctor, had uh, taken his tricolder apart and reprogrammed it to do something else. I mean, Haley, in fact, I think get, we get a grin out of this, say, well, but he only teases people he likes, so the Doctor's obviously uh, making progress there, but it, it certainly doesn't seem like it to him, and uh, he's not taking it that well. Whole conversation's interrupted by this little buzzing noise, which... Uh, is apparently a holographic insect described as a microsurveillance experiment called Roy. Which ends rather badly when uh, I think it lands on a console and you, you hear the slap as the Doctor gets it with his hand. Again, it, it's an interesting concept. It's, we'll never see it again in Star Trek, but it's quite a neat idea. I mean, if you can do these holographic things, one have a holographic insect, but I guess with it you can only bug a holosuite. And at this point we reach, I guess, one of the uh, another of the, the keys of the episode. We've brought Barclay in and while he's there, he suggests that, oh, it's also terribly bad. Zimmerman obviously needs a counsellor. And who's he going to talk to? But obviously Commander Deanna Troy on the Enterprise. E. And for what it's worth, it's the we do get, a I think, a, a clip of Deanna's quarters here. It's the first bit of the Enterprise E ever seen on a Star Trek television show. But you don't actually see that much of it, to be honest. It's worth noting again that, that Troy is in... Uh, three voyages in all, I think all of them with, with Reg Barclay. And was in... All of TNG except for seven. I mean, obviously there's the movies as well. I couldn't tell you which seven episodes of Next Gen she missed. There's a little bit of a change of pace. The story now cuts back to Voyager. I guess partly to illustrate what the Doctor's got behind him, remind us where he's come from, um, partly to earn everybody else their money, because this is obviously a very Picardo-heavy episode. And going back, I think it's uh, Janeway's Ready Room, looking at Message from the Admiralty. And message from Admiral Hayes giving details of what's going on, obviously asking for full status reports of everything, including, and this is the bit that this particular scene focuses on, the status of the Mackie. The scene plays around the fact that obviously Janeway doesn't think of Chicote and the others as Mackie anymore, they're just members of the crew. They've been knocking through a lot of this stuff for five or six years and have, have learned to work together and get on, but obviously from Starfleet's point of view, they're still the criminals that they were sent out there to get. And... That's true. That's where that. Sorry, that's what they were. That was Voyager's original mission. It comes out here. I mean, it's slightly disappointing that it never comes back again. This is a sort of one-off reference, as far as I know. They could have made some play of it in Endgame, the the final two-parter of Voyager. I suppose we can assume that the intervening year just carries an awful lot of of pleading and communication back and forth, using this new comms mechanism, and. Yeah, pleading, basically Janeway sorting out the status of these guys with Starfleet prior to their return. I mean, you might also wonder why nobody's asking about the, the status of the Equinox. I mean, I presume that at this point that's because Starfleet don't even know it was out there in the Delta Quadrant with them, I guess. Once this first batch of reports go back in 32 days, we'd get a, and what about the Equinox crew, request. 
The other little gem that comes out of this is that they've uh, Starfleet have, have retasked two deep space vessels and sent them out in Voyager's direction with the theory that they should rendezvous in, in six years' time. Again, as far as I know, we never actually hear of them again either. But it's nice to know they were doing something, I guess, that put a cap on Voyager's run as a maximum of, of 12 years if they'd wanted to extend the series that far. It's worth pointing out Admiral Hayes as a character was the Admiral who was in charge of the fleet in First Contact uh, in the initial opening scenes where the Borg cube is approaching Earth and, and the fleet goes out to defend. Admiral Hayes was the man in charge. Now, his ship was blown up, which is why Picard barreled in, in well, Picard was barreling in in Enterprise anyway, which is why Picard took charge of the fleet and destroyed the cube. But obviously, despite losing his ship, Hayes survived the experience. And it was also he who um, sent a message through the Herogen network in Season 2, but obviously much after that, much anybody else we see is always Admiral Paris. Certainly he's the one who seems to be hanging around the uh, Pathfinder project most of the time in, I think, the rest of this season and Season 7, which I, I guess you can understand. I mean, he's an Admiral, his son's on the ship, he's probably pulled a few strings, and Hayes has moved off to one side to do something more interesting. But anyway, that's about the, the limit as to what we get on Voyager, and... Then we're cutting back to Jupiter Station again. Ah. Ah. Lower. Ah, perfect. I needed this. You have no idea what I've had to endure these past few days. Ah. Last night, I woke up and I found him hovering over my bed with a hypospray. Oh, a smattering of photons. That's all he is. What's that? What is that? A tricorder? You are scanning me? Computer, realign Voyager's EMH. You! Remain calm. Emotional outbursts will only aggravate your condition. I'll tell you what's aggravating my condition! You! If you'd let me examine you, I'll report you to the medical ethics board. Doctor, save it for your hearing! If you weren't so stubborn, you'd see I'm only trying to help! I don't want your help! Why would you leave me alone? Because, for reasons beyond my comprehension, I care about you. You weren't programmed to care. You were programmed to hold a scalpel. I told you I'm not the same EMH you created six years ago. Of course, you can sing and dance. I should install you in a Ferengi nightclub. The Voyager crew appreciates my attempts to expand my program. This isn't Voyager! It's my lab, and in my lab, you're still just a hologram. A hologram you created. A hologram who owes you his existence. Is that what's keeping you here? Some twisted sense of obligation? Well, let me assure you, you don't owe me anything. Doctor? Yes, Haley, what is it? You have a visitor. Hello, I'm Deanna Troy. Which one of you is Dr. Zimmerman? A couple of things came out of this. The, I was, when I was watching it, I was, I was looking at this, trying to work out who the person was, and a bit of research that the doctor's described as a Tarlac woman, which is one of the subjugated races of the sonar in Star Trek Insurrection. And I didn't spot this, but I've read about this one. There's saying, hey, there's a, a rare visual mistake, I think, the way they describe it. And obviously with, with Zimmerman and the doctor being played by the same actor... There's a scene of the one taking a tricorder from the other, and actually, I think if you look closely, it's supposed to look more like uh, actually he grabs his wrist rather than the tricorder. 
One of the other things I pick up out of that clip, and I'm not sure what the doctor would think, but states that the, the Voyager crew appreciates his efforts to expand his program. Well, actually, I'd have to say that I'm really not convinced that they do appreciate it. Again, going back to what I said earlier, the Doctor is one of those characters who's caused so much grief on the ship through the various things he'd done. And the, the episodes I referenced before were really only the ones where he was either diverting the ship or off the ship doing something or turning traitor. But there's a whole lot of others where he's learning to sing or doing this and basically neglecting his duties as a result. So I have to say, I think Janeway and the others would be really quite happy if he hadn't bothered to try to expand his programme at all. Anyway, Zimmerman has a visitor at the end of all of this. And of course it's Deanna Troy, which isn't bad, you know, however many minutes have passed in the episode to get from Enterprise seven light years away out to the station. Of course more time has passed in, in Storyland than has passed in reality. Slightly interesting that, that she, the empath, has to ask... Which one of the two identical-looking people... Well, they're not identical. One's fairly grey and one just looks like he's always looked. But which of these two people is Zimmerman? Uh, you've just got to assume it's a conversational trait on her part. Because, I mean, say she's an empath. She knows straight away which one's a hologram and which one's a, a human being. She'll be able to sense that. And again, that comes out later on in the episode where she's saying that she, the reason she knows Haley is a hologram is because she's not sensing any emotions. I mean, we've, we've also got... Zimmerman assuming she's a, a hologram going up and pinching her, which uh, raises a bit of a screech of protest. The Doctor obviously appreciates her coming up. I guess Reg Barkley spoke to her, him about her in more detail, gave her a little bit of background. But Zimmerman is the, doctor's, the Doctor's usual self of, of surly and, and obstinate. So we have a nice little scene where Deanna's basically trying to, to talk each character into taking the other character's point of view. Now... Put yourself in the doctor's shoes. Imagine you were asked to treat someone you cared about, say, an EMH Mark 12. There is no Mark 12. But if there were, and you wanted to save his program, he probably wouldn't let you near him. He wouldn't care that you'd won the Daystrom Prize for holography. From his perspective, you'd be out of date. But what if you knew you could save him? Thank you, Counselor, for extending that olive branch. I'm willing to see past our differences, if he is. <sighs> All right. He can start by purging the plasma conduits on deck six. Dr. Zimmerman. I will not put my life in the hands of a primitive. You'd need a phaser drill to get through that thick skull of his. Get out! Gentlemen! Oh, spare us your psychobabble. I came here thinking that you were... Opposite sides of the same coin. Identical, but different. Now I see you're both exactly the same. You're both jerks. Jerks. Cuts to the living quarters a little bit later on, and uh, Troy explaining to Barclay that perhaps she shouldn't have come because she's only making things worse because th th they won't even uh, be in the same room with one another. I, and you've got to observe this point that actually... Yes, OK, it was, it was Deanna Troy, and it's, it's always nice to see that the characters come back, but A and other councillor probably could have done that scene just as well. Uh, it, was, it was used as a vehicle to, to bring in Troy, and in fact, Barclay as well, but it didn't need to be those characters. Yeah, it's, it's nice to keep it in the family, and it makes it more entertaining for the, the longer-term fans to watch, but the story would have worked probably with, with anyone else. I mean, pulling Troy back seven light years from the Enterprise, it's a little bit of an effort to get her into the story. Not that I didn't appreciate it, but uh, just a, a thought that, that they obviously pushed for that one. Anyway, this 
turns in later on to a, a discussion with Haley over some uh, chocolate ice cream. And this is the scene where I've already pointed out that, that Troy knows she's a hologram because there's no sense of emotion from her, so why didn't that work with the Doctor? But points out that she's actually older than the Mark I, but Zimmerman keeps her around. Uh, it takes a bit of effort, and I don't know how you can sort of psychologically pressure a hologram, but they manage to do it. And she goes into a little bit of background of what it was that, that Zimmerman had dreamed for the EMH in general and for the Mark One in particular, with thoughts of EMHs everywhere doing important work and places where people couldn't go. So I, I guess you are down dilithium mines and what have you. Though, again, if people couldn't go to these places, not quite sure why you'd need a medical hologram, because medical holograms, by definition, are treating the people. But let's not go there. But again, she points out that he was so proud of the work he was doing that its physical parameters were modelled on himself, obviously, as we've seen. So when the Mark I didn't, didn't measure quite up to what Starfleet was after and they ordered it reconfigured to clean plasma conduits that Zimmerman found it devastating and, and humiliating and spent hours and hours and hours trying to sort it all out until, I guess, throwing his arms up in disgust and, and starting again from scratch. And she's saying that he never, ever made another hologram to look like him. So the Doctor showing up with his face is fundamental reminder of everything that he failed at, and I think the Mark IV gets another mention in there. Now, obviously Deanna Troy, being the superb counsellor she is, hatches a plan as a result of this conversation. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! Cut to a scene back in Zimmerman's lab, and he obviously realises what's happening to him, how ill he is, and, and we find him dictating his last will and testament, and actually what that involves is leaving most stuff to Barclay, and maybe some bits and pieces to Haley. but as she's a hologram, then her status is actually part of the will itself, to leave her switched on and running as long as the station goes, and it seems that really he knows nobody else in the universe. I think the, the saddest line of the episode is where he gets to admit, I've created most of my friends. At the same time as this, the Doctor's in the holodeck running uh, Reggie's Voyager programme. He's obviously got lonely, missing people at home. So he's running this thing. We've seen this programme before um, in some of the earlier Pathfinder episodes. Barclay got really effectively lost inside this, this holo programme and then used it when uh, his commander was, was trying to shut down his little Pathfinder exercise that eventually contacted Voyager, so it's nice to bring some of that continuity back, but say the Doctor's in sickbay on Voyager, as far as you can see, except for the fact that, that Troy walks in. And the thing I haven't pointed out, that you'll know if you've seen it, obviously you've got the Doctor in his Voyager standard duty uniform, which is obviously the same as the, the pre-first contact Deep Space Nine uniforms and so on, and Troy and Barclay are in what I call the, the the first contact uniforms, they're in the new place. And they maintained that throughout Voyager. It was slightly worried me that they were suddenly going to change to new, new uniforms. Now, once they'd contracted contracted once they'd contacted Starfleet, I guess that could have happened because the, the uniform code could then have been transmitted to them and they could have replicated some new ones. But up until that time, I was waiting for the uniforms to change as a sign of a continuity error. But they never actually did. 
though at the sort of start of season two they actually changed the phases to line up with uh, the ones from First Contact, which did catch me out slightly. In fact, I think they changed it in one episode. You can tell they filmed them out of sequence because they, they changed to the new phases in one episode and then back again to the old ones and then back to the new ones again. But we're well off the topic of, of what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, Troy appears in, in sickbay, see the Doctor, and suggests that he comes to dinner with her, Barclay, Haley, and, of course, Zimmerman, to which the Doctor refuses and then does the nice sort of little horizontal shimmer thing he does occasionally, starts to break up. There's obviously a problem with the programme. Troy runs it through to Barclay, who immediately transfers him out, out of the hollow suite, or certainly out of that programme, begins running diagnostics on him in the living quarters. And I guess what they find is bad enough that uh, they have to take him out, or they, they, they have to take his case to Zimmerman to try and fix. Good riddance to bad photons. He's dying, Lewis. He's not dying. His files are just degrading. There are people on Voyager who count on him. I'll send them a Mark IV. They're more reliable. They don't want a Mark IV. They want their friend. No EMH was ever designed to be anyone's friend. He's just a hologram. Is that how you feel about me? Just a hologram? I will not be ambushed in my own lab. Stardate 53292. My program malfunctioned, and you cancelled the lecture on Vulcan and came all the way home to repair me. There's nothing worse than addressing a room full of pointy-eared blowhards. I was looking for an excuse to get away. You came back because you cared about me. Just like you care about the Mark I, you just won't admit it. He may not be perfect, but he's still one of your creations, and right now, he needs his creator. Don't turn your back on him. Computer, activate Voyager's EMH. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. You're the emergency. Where's Lieutenant Barkley? Trust me, you're in far more capable hands. You're going to repair my program? Who better? Just yesterday, you threatened to decompile me. That was before your colleagues made me feel guilty. You're ill. You're in no condition to perform delicate procedures. I'll survive, but you won't if you don't relax and let me finish. What are you doing? My scans identified a recursive error in your pattern buffer. I'm trying to isolate it. Is that a fractal algorithm? Very good. I'm using it to realign your matrix. Fractal algorithms are notoriously unstable. In the hands of a novice. Whoops. Whoops? What's whoops? Computer, deactivate EMH. Obviously, having succeeded, I mean, nice line in that one is, uh, I think, the, the whoops, what's whoops, which to me says Independence Day. So I'm sure it's one of the uh, one of the lines in the, the alien ship when they're uh, trying to take it off out of Area 51. That scene's really another good illustration of, of the amount of effort that Robert Picardo had to put into this episode. Obviously, working with himself primarily um, was a bit of a challenge. You're, you're playing off nobody at all. You go through everything multiple times, probably multiple of multiple times, because you're, you're playing both characters, you're playing both characters from multiple camera angles. So the amount of takes in that must have, must have been quite uh, quite grueling amount of work. Obviously, keying off yourself vocally is quite interesting, so I assume they had somebody else in reading the other part for him. 
But I said he enjoyed the challenge. And it also said because... I mean, you notice even though something strikes me listening to the audio now recording this is that you can hear the difference that he's putting into the, the vocals of the two characters. Certainly I've seen this a couple of times recently, so I know who's who, but I think I can tell it from the voices, hopefully so can so can you. But uh, makeup-wise, it apparently took an hour to change from one to the other, so don't know how many times he would have had to do that in a day, but presumably they work on one scene at, at a time and sort of do both parts, so there would have been an awful lot of time exchanging makeup over in this. Anyway, it's been back to the story working on the doctor for something like 17 hours i think before he he summons him up and tells him that yep he's got there he's done it and in fact not only has he done it but he's sorted one or two other things out on the way past reginald was right about you you have exceeded the sum of your programming you've accomplished far more than i would have ever predicted but let's face facts you never overcame the inherent flaws in your personality subroutines. You're arrogant, irritable, a jerk, as Counselor Troy would say. I believe she was describing you as well. Don't change the subject. I may not be able to turn you into a Mark IV, but I can make you a bit more presentable. What if I'm happy with the way I am? I'm doing you a favor. I don't want any favors, and I don't want your new subroutines. Why can't you accept me as I am? Because you're defective! Emergency medical hotheads. Extremely marginal house calls. That's what everyone used to call the Mark Ones until they were bounced out of the medical corps. I tried to have them decommissioned, but Starfleet, in its infinite wisdom, overruled me and reassigned them all to work waste transfer barges. That's where you'd be too, if you hadn't been lost in the Delta Quadrant. You know how humiliating it is to have 675 Mark Ones out there scrubbing plasma conduits, all with my face. I'm sure they're doing a fine job. What are you doing? I'm not finished with you. I'm trying to do my job. Yeah. And if you give me a chance, you'll see that I'm pretty good at it. Frankly, I'd hope that if we ever met, you'd be proud of me. Well, I guess it is comforting to know that at least one of you is still doing what I designed you to do. Your intracellular proteins are at a dangerous level. We should begin the procedure. Give me a chance to make you proud of me. Maybe we could try it. See how it goes. See how it goes. Just don't expect me to put you in my will. And there we reach the success of it all. The uh, doctor finally gets his way. Hey, some of the stuff covered in there, they were obviously messing around with, with changing the, the greeting and adding new subroutines and so on, which is fine, but obviously these are things that, in the Voyager timeline, in, in the Voyager quadrant, I guess, these are things that the Doctor, to a degree, has taken control of himself anyway. 
Now, I know a lot of that stuff has been stripped out of him in order to, to get him to the place he needs to be for the sake of this story, but uh, he's already elected not to change his greeting, I think, hadn't come up with anything else. So the fact that Zimmerman tinkers, you can see, is going to annoy him a bit. I mean, equally, he could have explained, of, you know, I could say whatever I like, I just do this because I want to. But Equally, Zimmerman's frustration with... with ongoing frustration with the Mark Ones and what they were never accepted as being is obviously driving him to tinker with it. But you look at the the key line and you know how humiliating it is to have 675 Mark Ones out there scrubbing plasma conduits all with my face. Why on earth did Starfleet not change the face on these things? I mean, how much would it have cost just not to embarrass the man? He's obviously still held in high regard in terms of uh, hologram science or whatever it is, and... You know, why Why do that to the poor guy? He's not well as it is. I just to consign 675 copies of him to do waste reclamation stuff. How embarrassing would that be? And you'd have thought there'd have been a little bit more compassion. I mean, we've already seen the Doctor change his face, his entire body, within the scope of this episode. So it's obviously not horrendously difficult and uh, could have been easily managed. But again, there you go. We wouldn't have the story if that's been, uh, if that had been the way it had been done. So some in-story time passes, and as the story goes, 32 hours later... The Doctor emerges from the Hololab to tell Barclay and Troy and Haley, who all still seem to be hanging around, that the procedure was successful, but that he worked out that he'd been sabotaged, obviously by Barclay at, at Troy's suggestion, her good idea of getting Zimmerman to try and get some feelings for the Doctor. And, uh, to, you know, for once, Barclay doesn't go overboard on, on the Embarrassment Act. I mean, it's obviously true. I, uh, Picardo and, and Schultz seem to get on quite well. I mean, they've, I say they've done a few episodes before and they seem to have formed some sort of relation. I mean, the actors I'm talking about here, not the characters, some sort of relationship before this time. Apparently, uh, he's reported it's the first and only time he's he's worked with... that the, the Doctor's appeared with Deanna Troy. It's the first time those two, two actors have worked together, which I believe uh, Picardo enjoyed. Anyway, after 32 hours of treatment, it's, it's determined that uh, Zimmerman is, is going to recover... And as I say, he'd worked out, he'd been sabotaged, and uh, Barclay explains that the whole thing was, was set up to uh, break down Zimmerman's resistance to the Doctor. So, cut to one month later. Doctor's about ready to go back to Voyager. The, the 30-day window has come round again. Trying to steal my secrets? Another one of my hobbies. I thought I'd take home a few memories. You're supposed to be in bed. I've got work to do. It can wait. Go to bed. Doctor's orders. I hope you won't be coming back next month to make sure I'm taking my medicine. Don't worry. My captain's not likely to authorize another house call. Good. The next time she sends a data stream, you might want to drop me a line. Let me know how you're doing. If you insist. Ready? Would you mind? Not at all. Smile. 
the thought occurs that now the Doctor's going back to Voyager, they, they were saying to, to get him to the Alpha Quadrant in the first place was going to take up the entire data stream that nobody could send anything else. So presumably the same is true for the return journey. So, you know, heaven only knows what Starfleet think. They've come up with this scheme to get in contact with their lost ship. They get one data stream through and then get this great lump of a hologram comes back the other way that they then seem duty-bound to return 32 days later. Now, if I was a Starfleet Admiral, I suspect I'd be asking some serious questions about just how urgent it was to get that Doctor back and... Uh, Maybe it wouldn't happen, but of course this is Star Trek, this is Voyager, and the crew and the ship are all important and, and carry the priority here. So, of course, the, the Doctor's going to be sent back. I, the other thought is, presumably he's not taking his hollow images with him, and um, Reggie's going to have to uh, email them on in the next transmission, because I don't think uh, that would... I say, if the data stream's full, the data stream's full. I mean, one of the things I never thought is Doctor's a hologram. I mean, presumably, um, as with now, you know digital cameras and so on, everything's becoming a matter of software. Why on earth can't the Doctor fit himself with hollow imaging technology? It's only transferring things to memory store. He should be able to do that. He shouldn't need a camera, but doesn't uh, doesn't really matter. And there it ends. I think we heard the uh, closing title start-up music cut in over, over the end of that scene. Uh, seen we had a, a couple of scenes on Voyager. As I said earlier, I think primarily just to get the rest of the crew in and and then their slice of the cake for this particular episode. One of the only one of the main cast, I think, who doesn't have a speaking part. We see Tim Russ, I think, once, but uh, he has no lines. But I guess he still got paid. I don't know. There we are. As I say, I chose that one primarily because it, it was on after I finished the Hitchhikers podcast. I did back for September, and that one had gone out. And, this happened to be a Voyager episode that was on, and I was like the, the Doctor Heavy one, so nabbed it at that point, but it's taken me this long to actually sit down and, and process it properly for the sake of everybody else. It's a good, fun episode overall. I know I've picked up a, a number of quibbles and issues with it, but bear in mind, when you've got the likes of uh, Rico doing this every week, then some of the things that he will have said about the characters he'll probably cut through on the first time he does a, a Voyager episode, so... While some of what I said may come across as particularly critical of this episode, it's really just picking up some of the points I've I've got on Voyager overall, and this is the one and only time I've really had the the opportunity, the chance to to share them. So don't take it all as a, as a negative on the episode. This is one of the ones I enjoy particularly, or or I wouldn't have uh, picked it to do, particularly as a as a fan of the Doctor. And I think I've said it already. Robert Picardo managed to play the two characters very well. It must have been awfully hard work, but uh, he carried it off. So there's one um, quote that I've I've picked up from him on this, where he's saying, I play not only the Doctor, but his programmer, Dr Lewis Zimmerman, so I achieved a lifelong ambition of working with an actor who I've admired. Of course, the hardest thing about acting with myself was coming up to my own level. I was very demanding, but also very generous. As an actor, I gave myself everything I felt I deserved and more. So there you go. So you were doing what yesterday? I was playing Oblivion for 12 hours straight. That is the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm the obsessive compulsive type that likes to explore every cave, every mm-hmm. nook and cranny of every mountain, every city, That's they every back alley. Yes, I you know. You know what I like? What? Civilization and a bottle of wine. <laughs> Whole day. That, that to me would be heaven. Because, as I've said before, I can't play Civilization every day, but I could play it for a whole day. If you had a bottle of wine. If I had a bottle of wine. <laughs> Otherwise, would just you play keep, it? <laughs> not like to get drunk, but just play, have a nice little, you know. It's like a good book. Just, like, yes. Yeah. 
That's exactly what it is <laughs> for me, you know? And always think that I might play aggressively and then I never do. <laughs> because like, the wine mellows you out. Because <laughs> the wine mellows me out. It's the most, it's awesome. It's just a really great way to spend a day. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. And that, I think, pretty much does it. Certainly got my views, feelings on Lifeline into there. Probably quite a few of my views on Voyager as well, certainly with regard to the Doctor, his character, some of the stories that he's been involved in. It's a definite benefit to doing occasional one-offs of these, in that my views on on the wider series of Voyager and, and Trek in general haven't yet been distributed across the net, so it gives me plenty of material to throw into an episode like this. Looking at it, it seems to be just over the hour mark at the moment, which is is quite a surprise. I was wondering before I started whether I could even talk for the full 45, 41 minutes, whatever it is, of the episode on this one. Clearly, I can talk for England. I pity you poor folks who have to listen to me. So I'm going to leave it there. I had wondered whether I was going to meander into some comments on the Christmas Doctor Who episodes, uh, End of Time, David Tennant's regeneration looking at the time as i say i think i probably won't do that now i've gone on long enough and that was long enough ago now that it probably doesn't bear too much more analysis if you're interested in my thoughts on that or quite a number of other things i'm afraid you'll find them on the treks and sci-fi forum it's always worth popping in if only to have a look round. i mean have a read through it seems that a number of people will will hang around as guests and read for quite a while before joining up but uh, i would encourage you perhaps to, to skip that step to just join up straight away and uh, even if you don't throw yourself into exhaustive posting introduce yourself let let people know you're there it's uh, always a good way of uh, providing feedback on the podcast you can tell me to exactly what you think of listening to my voice for an hour and i'll uh, go and weep in a corner or something but uh, equally keep an eye on the uh, main page of tracks and sci-fi i know a number of us on the forum get tend to get sucked into looking at the forum but not everything goes in there there's some interesting things go on the main page i've certainly got it as a, an alert on my rss feed reader and uh, u- useful stuff come up there particularly in, in recent years obviously it's been uh, news on the trek movie that's happened and i guess moving towards 2012 it's going to be uh, more and more news coming out on the next Trek movie that seems to have confirmed dates and things now. Rick is very good at, at picking stuff up there, and I think even getting back into work, he's going to manage to find some time to, to keep all of us informed on what's going on. Obviously, if you, you like what you listen to, then you'll find some donation buttons on that main page as well. Or certainly on the forum, I'm less sure of where they are on the main page. If you want to, uh, say, a bung a few quid at Rico for keeping all of this going and, and going and coming going and, and coming out to us every week then uh, it's a, a worthy cause if you like the the hour or so entertainment every weekend obviously bandwidth and uh, recording equipment and all that sort of stuff costs money and I say not talking for myself here i'm just sitting here talking into my phone which seems to do a good enough job for, for the odd one off but i know rico's got a, a lot more uh, equipment set up and invested into this and a, a few dollars here and there will surely do no harm, so uh, 
if you if you feel uh, that's something you can help with, then then jump in and hit the donate button. Obviously, if you're into science fiction, you like this sort of podcast. There are other ones around. I know we've had a, a few promos scattered into today. Waffle on anomaly, both ones that that I would listen to regularly. I chuck a, a shout out to the the Fifth Race podcast guys on the Stargate front, still rumbling through the series. Still somewhere in season five or six at the moment. I'm not sure how far they've got. One day they're going to run out of episodes, but it's going to be a, a, another few years yet. Um, lots of good good podcasts out there. Reviews on iTunes always go down well with podcasters. Worth considering that. Just skip over this one. This is an abnormal. Listen to some recos if you haven't before, and then go back and, and let the world know what you think. But I'm pretty much waffling now, which I do so well. So I'm going to stop very soon. I just want to say that... Uh, Rico's back next week with what promises to be a video cast on Star Wars fan films. So look forward to that. We've seen quite a few interesting things on the Star Trek fan films vidcast a while back. So doing another one of those in the world of Star Wars. Anyway, I'm pretty much done here. That was this. I'm Mike. Thanks for giving me a listen. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was uh, worth your time. Don't know if I'll get another go at this, but uh, if not, I'm sure I'll see you around on the forum. And uh, before we go, I think there's one thing we need to do. Treks in Sci-Fi wouldn't be what it's become without access to some classic Moya parody music. And given that I was muttering earlier on about my concerns over the potential for changing the Voyager uniforms over to the First Contact style earlier than could be explained in story terms. I thought that's a really good cue for a song. See you around. Cheers. When I was a kid, I watched this show. It was full of people that would boldly go. But not many people cared for science fiction. Their five-year mission they went before. Impulse, standstill, and warp factor four. But I really, really wanted their Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, uniforms. On TOS, go blue and red, but if you were an extra, that meant you were dead, and the girls, they all wore miniskirts in rare form. You were Kirk and fighting the Gorn Every week your shirt would be torn But week after week we'd still come back for the uniforms Starfleet uniforms Starfleet uniforms Starfleet uniforms Well, in TNG, they kept pulling them down, and in later years, they enlarged their gowns. Deanna was asked by Captain Jellicoe to go norm. Remember Picard and Darmok, they wrote, introduced his cool new away team coat, and somehow Worf's hair would grow with his uniform. Starfleet uniforms. Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, uniforms.
On Deep Space Nine, not like the others, they fooled us all and flip-flopped the colors and aliens wore cool suits like our friend Morn. Cisco may have shaved his head, but Odo shifted his clothes instead and Kira wore a tight red uniform. Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, uniforms. That leaves us with just two to go, Voyager and Archer show, seven of nine into Paul in those catsuits they wore. Running around in their underwear cute Always in their matching blue jumpsuits Every show had a slightly different uniform Starfleet uniforms Starfleet uniforms Starfleet uniforms Uniforms Starfleet uniforms Starfleet uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, uniforms.